how many of you this morning have some potential? Uh-oh, good, good. The first service, we had four people raise their hands, and we just gave the invitation and just finished the service right then. Potential is a great word. Potential means possibility. It, it means that, that there is the realm of something, you know, it can happen. Uh, coaches, if you're familiar with sports, talk a lot about potential. A player has potential. A player doesn't have potential. A team has potential. Uh, professors and student, uh, or teachers talk about your academic potential, whether you are going to be a Ph.D. someday or whether that may not be in your future. But we talk about those things. And this morning in Luke chapter 2, as we continue our series on hope for the holidays, which we are going to conclude this, uh, this Wednesday night uh, at our candlelight service, we're going to talk about the hope for you and your life and your potential. And I want to tell you this morning, this is such a great, great thing that you possess, you possess tremendous potential in your relationship with God. And now, now the, the tough thing is, if that's going to be realized, it is up to you because God is going to be willing to do His part. But let's start where our, our heroes of the story were and where many of us are probably today. You may, number one, you may be or feel insignificant in some people's eyes. You're here this morning and the preacher's talking about potential and you go, you know, when I look at me, I don't see potential. In fact, what I've felt from other people my whole life is that I'm really insignificant. Now, I understand there's probably some psycho-narcissists here this morning that think that, that you are the most wonderful person that's ever lived. That's a different sermon I need to preach to you later. But many of us struggle with the fact that we may be insignificant. And we all are to somebody. In verse 8, our story begins, and it says that there were shepherds living out in the fields, and that's kind of an important thing we'll touch on in a moment, nearby keeping watch over their flocks at night. Now, we, we saw last week the story where Jesus is born is in Bethlehem, and it's about five to six miles southwest of Jerusalem. I want you to look on a, we got a picture. This is one of the traditional areas where they say this could have been where the shepherds were outside of Bethlehem. Certainly, we don't know for sure. Last year, when Cindy and I were in Israel, we got to go to Bethlehem on a Friday, and we were coming out of it Friday evening. It was about sundown, and you could see these hills and these pasture lands like that, and you just wondered if that's where those shepherds were that night when God showed up, and you know, just tremendously, uh, the world was never the same after that encounter. A lot of scholars believe that the temple sheep, the sheep that were used to be sacrificed in the temple, were held out here. And it's a neat way of, of, of you know, kind of dialogue of this in your head where these shepherds actually watching the sheep that were going to be used to, to be sacrificed in the temple. And then they were going to experience the ultimate one, Jesus Christ, later on. We don't know for sure, but here's what we do know. Here's what we know for sure is the shepherds were insignificant people in their day and age. In fact, now guys, listen to this. On the social scale, shepherds were, were low, low, low. They were low labor, low labor type people. They, made, they didn't make a lot of money. They had to live out in the fields. It wasn't like they were on an eight-hour, 12-hour shift. They came home. They lived out in the fields. They were probably dirty and nasty a lot of times. And they were low on the social scale. They were insignificant. Now, I'm, I want to beat that in your head because that's going to matter greatly in a few minutes. 
But I wonder this morning how many of us feel insignificant. We felt like maybe our whole life we haven't measured up. Again, some of your problems are as you think you're way too up here, but a lot of us, it's the other way. There's, a, there's been a reality TV show called Little People in the Big World. Are any of y'all familiar with that show? Uh, if you're not, you can probably guess what it's about. There's the vertically challenged parents, and there, there are four kids, and one of their, their kids, I don't know if the word midget is politically correct or not, but they are uh, vertically challenged is correct, isn't it? They, they are short. Uh, and then, you know, it's a reality show about this family lives on a farm in Portland, Oregon, uh, and their lives as little people in a big world. Many of us struggle with being little people in a big world, not necessarily physically, but maybe how we were brought up, how people looked at us, how we dress today or how we don't dress today. I wonder this morning how many of us in here feel insignificant about who we are and, and what we've done with our life. Here's a second question for you, a second thought. Maybe you don't have that great of a reputation. Here's even a better twist on that. Maybe you think you have a great reputation, but you really don't. (laughs) Some of us know maybe our reputation is not what it should be. This is a strange fact about being a shepherd. They had, in Jesus' day, bad reputations. Now, we can probably assume these were either godly men or men who had a a heart that was going to obey God. But in Jesus' day, listen to this, shepherds could not testify in court. If you were mugged on the streets in Bethlehem and the only person that saw you get mugged was a shepherd, shepherds were not legally able to testify in court. Their reputations were so bad that they were unreliable as a witness in court. Is that not incredible? I wondered this morning how many of us have some reputation problems. Again, maybe the problem is you have one, you just don't realize it. That's two or three problems. Maybe you have a bad reputation. The truth is you've earned a bad reputation. Maybe it's just how people have looked at you or your family or your mistakes from the past. And and it's hard to shake those things. Maybe that's you this morning. Again, in a moment, I promise you that's going to be significant. Here's the third thing. Maybe, uh, Maybe you have felt rejection from the religious world. Maybe you felt like at some point in your life, church people, probably the best way to put it in our understanding, have looked down upon you or rejected you. Let's look again in verse 8. It says, there were shepherds living, and again, that's important, out in the field, nearby, keeping their watch over their flock. They lived out in the field for weeks at a time. Here's some significance to that. They could not get in and go to the synagogue, which was the Jewish version of the local church on a regular basis. They could not get to the temple on a regular basis. They could not do the regular ceremonial ritual hand washings and these things that were important to Judaism. A lot of these things that the Jews had added on to. So get a load of this. In Jesus' day, shepherds were what was called, they were under the rabbinic rabbinic band. And it meant that they were very limited in what they could do at the synagogue or the temple. I'm not making this up. Along with prostitutes and tax collectors, they were basically pushed to the back door. 
For instance, let's say a shepherd came in our church today under the rabbinic ban. We would let them sit out in the hallway and listen to the service over the loudspeaker, but we would not let them in our church. Is that not horrible? And certainly that was not of God, but that was how the Jewish religious system had been tightened up and how it had been made corrupt in so many ways. This was a group of people rejected by the religious leaders and the religious part of their world. What a horrible thing. But I'm going to bet this morning with every penny I have, and I don't have a lot, but that we have people here who have been rejected by the religious world. If you grew up in the South, you've been inundated with religion your whole life anyway, whether you were involved with it much or not. And my guess is at some point, some pastor, some preacher, some youth minister, some deacon, some church person has made you feel unacceptable and unworthy and not up to their standards. By the way, that's not of God at all, but that's so common. One of my dear friends growing up came from an upper middle class family. I mean, his his family did very well. They lived in a nice home. But this was in the early 70s when there was big bus ministries in a lot of big towns. And every church had a bus ministry. And our church that I went to would send out four or five big school buses with our church name written on them all over town. We mostly picked up lower social economic people. The church he went to was, happened to be the first Baptist in our town. And it ran a bus route through the upper middle class neighborhoods too. And so he rode that bus. His parents didn't go to church. And his parents didn't get up to get him ready for church. And so if you're a 10-year-old boy and your parents aren't dressing you for church, you're probably not going to dress appropriately. Amen? And especially in 1972 when every little boy had his clip-on tie, you know, and his hair was all matted down and all that. And and my friend years later would tell me why he wasn't interested in God. Now, today he's he's a great Christian. But for years he struggled because he would go to church... And the church kids would make fun of him because he rode the bus and because he wasn't with his parents and because of the way he dressed. Rejected by, isn't that, it makes you want to throw up, doesn't it? How horrible that is. But that is so common. Maybe this morning, that's something you face. Maybe you feel that today. I certainly don't hope you feel that today. In fact, I would tell you, if you came in here today with a bad reputation, this is exactly the place you need to be. Amen? Because <laughs> we've got a solution for that. And this is not going to be a religious building you're going to be rejected in. But here's something I want, to, I want to throw at you that's so unbelievable about this story. No matter how insignificant others have made you feel, no matter what your reputation is, earned or unearned, no matter how religious jerks have treated you, listen, despite all this, God wants you to experience Him fully. God wants you to have an encounter with him, some of you for the first time, some of you it's a comeback to Jesus, some of us it's a new, fresh, day-to-day encounter with Jesus. Despite everything in your life, despite everything in your past, God wants you to experience him fully. This is where the story takes such a magnificent, magnificent and strange turn. In verse 19, excuse me, verse 9 through 16, an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. I always loved that. Folks, in, my, in, in, my, in the New Testament, in my study, there's only one person who wasn't terrified when the angel sh- uh, showed up, and it was the teenager, Mary. <laughs> the, these rough shepherds, they panicked, and of course, the angel says uh, to them, verse 10, don't be afraid, easy for the angel to say. 
Listen to what he says, though. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. Here's literally what he's saying. I am bringing to you guys, you despised people, you once rejected by the church or religious people, you people of bad reputation, I'm bringing to you the greatest news that there has ever been. Chew on that for a moment. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born. He is Christ the Lord. You will find this baby wrapped in clothes and laying in a manger. And suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel praising God. In verse 14, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace to men on whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone to heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened which the Lord has told us. And in verse 16, they hurried off and they found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. You're talking about unbelievable. Jesus Christ has just been born. The Savior of the world, God in flesh, has been born. The anointed Jewish Messiah, the Messiah for all of us have been born. Now, why didn't he go first to the priest? Why didn't he go to the religious people and the Bible scholars? He doesn't go to them first. Well, then he ought to go to King Herod because Herod is the most powerful guy in this area. And he lives in a nice palace and he's got all the money. He doesn't go to Herod. Well, why didn't he go to the Roman uh, emperor, Augustus? Why didn't they, Augustus rules the whole world. Why didn't he go to him? No, listen, when the greatest message ever was delivered to mankind, it was delivered. Delivered to people who were considered insignificant and a bad reputation and rejected by the religious world. Can you say amen to that? And in verse 17, in verse 17 it says this. When they had seen him, they spread the word. Now you can easily miss what this is saying. If you're taking notes, write what this word means. To see here doesn't mean they just made eye contact with him. To see here doesn't mean they just walked in, they saw him, yeah, yeah, this is neat, cute baby, goo, 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 goo. Yeah, that's the Savior, wow. See, that's what happens with many of us this morning. We're going to come in here and we're going to see things and we're going to hear things and we're going to leave no differently. That's not what this word seen means. When it says here that they saw Jesus, when they had seen him, It literally means to perceive with understanding. They experienced Jesus. Here's an example. You can study about death for years. It's a whole different ballgame when someone you love dies and you experience it. You, You can study grief for years. It's a whole different ballgame when you experience grief. You can talk about love, but it's a whole different thing to be in love. And when it says that they saw Jesus, listen, they, they didn't just see him with their eyes. They had an encounter with Jesus Christ that changed their lives. Here's what I want you to get a hold of this morning. God values you. God wants you and me to have a profound and deep, ongoing, profound and deep, ongoing relationship with Him. Some of you are hiding behind, are you, maybe you're not hiding behind it, but you are still overwhelmed by your past, by how you've been treated in the church, how people have rejected you or looked down upon you. That's not how God values you. 
Let me give you an illustration to show you. This is a $100 bill. Uncle Ben is on this. Let's be honest. How many of you would take this if I would give it to you? If you don't raise your hand, you better put a lot of money in the offering plate because you, you don't need it. You're a liar or you're rich. This belongs to my wife, so you won't get it. This is just an illustration. Anybody, why would you not want a $100 bill? Sure you would. Let me ask you this. If I wad it up a little bit, how many of you are still smart enough to want that? That's still a $100 bill, isn't it? What if I dropped it on the floor and I stepped on it? How many of you would still want it? Absolutely. What if I put it under my arm like this? How many? I take it, shoot you, I wipe it off, you take it. Because even though it's wadded up and it's dirty, it smells like underarm a little bit, it's still a hundred dollar bill, isn't it? You see, that's the problem with many of us. We got a little wadded up and a little dirty. And we felt like God's cast our value away. Our God doesn't want us anymore. I think it'd be farther from the truth. The first people who heard the message and who experienced Jesus weren't the preachers because they were too snooty. It wasn't the wealthy people because they had it all figured out and they didn't need God. It, it wasn't the upper middle class. It was the people who God knew if they got the message would receive the message. So that means it's for all of us. And it certainly means no matter what your social situation or reputation or your past or your present is, if you will come to Christ, the hope is you can have an experience with Him that is full and meaningful and life-changing. Isn't that wonderful? But let me give you one other thought about this. Not only can you experience him, but despite everything, God wants to use you in a mighty way. God still has plans for your life. This morning, no matter how young you are or how old you are, God wants to do something with your life. No matter how insignificant or bad or, or how much you've been rejected. In verse 17 through 20, when they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what they'd been told about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherd said. But Mary treasured up all these things in her heart, and she pondered on them. And the shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. A couple of things. When you really have an encounter with Jesus, it's not a private matter anymore. Well, you know, I just try to live it out. You hadn't really come into Jesus if you don't like to tell people about him. Isn't it amazing these shepherds 
The first thing they did after they experienced Jesus is they started telling everybody about him. Now get a load of this. The first preachers of the gospel, the first evangelists, were not the preachers and the prophets and the scribes in the temple. Again, it wasn't Herod. It wasn't Augustus. The first preachers and proclaimers of the gospel were the insignificant, bad reputation, religious outcast shepherds. And I want you to think about this. The Gospel of Luke was probably written three to four decades after this happened. Three to four decades after this happened. And it says Mary pondered these things in her heart. A lot of scholars believe that Luke got a lot of what he wrote in this gospel from Mary herself. 30 or 40 years later, she still remembered these guys who had such a powerful encounter with Jesus and how they shared that. It still shook her up. She still could say, I remember 30, 40 years later that these guys went out and were proclaiming Jesus in such a way that it still impacted me today. And it made me think this week, what in the world am I doing or you doing that 30 or 40 years from now is going to matter? I want to tell you what can matter. You experience Jesus and you start sharing Jesus with your world and you can leave a legacy. You say, well, I'm insignificant, bad reputation. I've been a failure, a religious outcast. So were those guys. That's what God specializes in is fixing broken things and using them. How many of you have the show Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer? How many of you are familiar with that? I love those, those shows. Your grandkids like them and your preacher likes them. Those are, those are neat shows. Uh, there's a scene in Rudolph where they go to the island of the, the misfit toys. Do any of y'all remember this scene? Island of the Mid- Some of you adults, you're going like, you're embarrassed. Okay, it's okay. It's okay if you've seen this. Like, this is, a, th- th- this is an elf who didn't want to make toys, remember? He wanted to be a dentist. And, and uh, you know, there's like a, a train that's all broken down, of course, and there's Rudolph that nobody wanted to play with because he has the, the red nose. And there's the jack-in-the-box that was like a Frank-in-the-box or something. And, and if you remember in this story, Santa comes to the island of misfit toys and he takes them and he takes these misfits and he's able to place them all over the world and make kids happy and use them. And, you know, and, and we understand that aspect of that story. But here's how I think it ties in. You see, the shepherds were misfits. Some of you are misfits. All of us have problems. All of us have gaps in our lives. But that's what God specializes in. God specializes in coming in and fixing broken people and taking broken people who will let them, let him, and use them in an unbelievable way. That's what I want to tell you this morning. Despite, despite anything in your past or your present, if you will let God, he can do mighty things in your life. Several years ago in Ontario, Canada, it's 10 years ago, a terrible story came out. It had a good ending, but it was a terrible story. The police found out about a couple who had adopted two brothers when they were little bitty. At this time, they were 14 and 15. And the boys literally lived in cages, dog cages in the basement. They went to school every day. 
And I guess the parents had such a strong grip on them, they didn't tell anybody what was going on. They would get home in the afternoon, they would put diapers on these boys, and they would take them downstairs and put them in their cages. That's how they lived their life. And the day the police came and, and busted those horrible people and took them off to prison, hopefully for a long, long time, they went down there to where those boys were, and they opened up those stinky, nasty cages, and they pulled them out. And the boys cried, and the police cried. And one of the little boys looked at the police officer, and he said, Are we free? Are we free? And that policeman hugged him, and he said, You'll never have to be held captive in that again. I want to tell you this morning, when those shepherds went back to those fields that night after they encountered Jesus, they were free. All the religious bigotry they had experienced all the disrespect to their their past or to their job status all that they were free of all that I believe for the rest of their life and I want to challenge you this morning break free of whatever it is that's holding you back encounter Jesus afresh And let him use you in a mighty way. Because there is so much potential for you. And so much hope for you if you'll let God have you like these guys did. Let's pray. This morning, if you're a Christian... I just pray that you'll do whatever you need to do to experience God and to let Him use you. Push all your excuses, your handicaps back. If you're here this morning and you're not a Christian and you're ready to give your life to Christ, would you sincerely pray with me and just say, Jesus, I'm a sinner. And I want to repent of my sins. I believe you're God's son and that you died and that you arose for me. Come into my heart, Jesus. And save me this morning. Let me have your attention just for a moment. We're going to stand in a second and when we do, I want to challenge you to do what the shepherds did. Don't sit on the hill and, and think about what just happened or what could have happened. But I want you to respond to Jesus. When we stand, maybe you need to come. Come swiftly. If you just ask Christ in your heart, you're ready to give your life to Him this morning. Maybe you're ready to join our church family. We would love for you to do that. One way you can do that. When we stand, you can come. We'll be down here waiting on you. Come and do that today. Christian, maybe this morning you need to run back to Jesus. Push away those excuses or those weights that are holding you back and experience Him again. And let God use you mightily. Let's stand and as we sing, respond to Jesus today.